Good morning. Good to see everybody. I want to welcome you all to Seacoast this weekend. How many of you glad to be in church this weekend? Come on. Anybody? All right. Good. A lot of people happy to be here. Uh, if you're joining us online or at one of our campuses, we are excited that you're here. This is honestly one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Uh, you've all gotten an extra hour of sleep. Everybody's happy. They're refreshed. Some of you showed up an hour early, not knowing you were coming to volunteer this weekend. Uh, but we got you plugged in, and just a great, great weekend. Some of your kids probably had candy for breakfast, and it's just all around a good weekend, not to mention that Clemson remains undefeated. Uh, and so, But hey, I'm excited to, I'm excited to introduce you to our uh, guest speaker. It feels awfully strange even to say that he's a guest speaker because he's really not a guest to Seacoast at all. But if you have come to Seacoast in the last couple of years, you may not have had the chance to meet uh, my uncle, Jeff Surratt, who uh, was a part of our team for 14 years, uh, was a pastor on our staff here. Uh, he was my boss for many of those years and just learned a ton from him uh, as, a, uh, as a leader and as a pastor. And uh, he has been involved in so many different things around this, these parts. But specifically, if you are watching us right now at any other location, including the inter internet campus, uh, it's largely because of uh, Jeff Surratt's efforts early on to help us pioneer what it would look like to become a church in multiple locations uh, around South Carolina and North Carolina. So he pioneered that. He wrote uh, the book on multi-site, uh, literally called The Multi-Site Church Revolution, and uh, much of that was out of the learnings that he had here as well as working with other churches around the country. And so he is family. Uh, he's literally family. He's my uncle and our senior pastor, founding pastor's brother, but he's also part of our church family. No matter how far they get from Charleston, we will continue to, to call them family here. And so a few years ago, Jeff and Sherry moved out to California. He joined the staff of Pastor Rick Warren's church, out, a Saddleback Church out in Orange County, California. And then not long after that, Sherry, his wife, became the CEO of MOPS, uh, Mothers of Preschoolers, and has just done a fantastic job leading that organization. They currently reside in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Jeff serves on staff at a great church, Southeast Christian Church in Denver. Is very involved with Ernest Smith, who we planted. We've talked to you a lot about Ernest. Uh, he serves as an overseer and kind of a coach for Ernest and a number of other church planters in Denver. And so looking forward to what he's going to bring to us. Why don't you guys remind him of the hospitality of the South, and let's welcome Jeff as he comes back to join us at Seacoast. <laughs> thank you you guys are hilarious that's great thank you <laughs> uh, i will never live that down but thank you that's awesome man being back is so much fun as josh said jerry and i came in 1996 here as a uh, spry young couple, and now we're the broken down, or I'm the broken down old man you see before you. Um, just, just so much fun. My uh, daughter, Brittany, who would prefer I not mention this, she runs the sound here at the Long Point campus, and uh, she has left God's will, which was, she came and lived with us in Denver for a while, and now she's out in the wilderness here with you at Seacoast. Um, now, we're actually thrilled that she is here, and her birthday was this weekend, so we got a chance to come out, and, and Greg and Josh just graciously uh, uh, gave me the opportunity to speak, which is, this is honestly one of the, one of the biggest privileges of my life, is to come here and to, to, to be with you and be with this church. I still have been gone for almost five years, but still watch the services online almost every weekend, and just still feel a part of this, 
this congregation. But I will tell you that having moved away for a while uh, and having lived in Colorado, which is very unique, we, we cheer for the orange in Colorado as well, but our orange plays on Sunday instead of on Saturday. And tonight my team will <clears throat> try to be, stay undefeated, and I don't know that that will happen. But we would be... <laughs> Excited to see that. And then, by the way, just to get that out of the way, if you're a Packers fan, uh, you know, you can still leave. There are other churches, great churches, that you could, <laughs> you could make it to. <clears throat> but we've noticed coming back and, every, and, and, and being in Denver and now being in Charleston and, and hanging around in Charleston over the weekend, we've noticed there's some significant differences between the two towns, Denver and Charleston. And I put a couple of these on Facebook. I thought I'd share them with you real quick. I noticed yesterday as as we were at a shopping uh, center, a Target or something, I noticed people walking in and, and ladies in, in dresses and heels. And that doesn't happen in Denver um, at all, ever. Uh, and so one of the differences I noticed between Charleston and Denver, in Charleston, people get dressed up to go out. In Denver, people just get dressed to go out. Um, <laughs> I noticed you guys had the rain. We followed the story of the rain a couple of weeks ago. Another difference I noticed is that in Charleston, you measure rain in inches per hour. In Denver, we measure rain in drops per month. And so it's, that's a little different. Uh, I've noticed here people, it's so funny to me to see you guys driving around in four-wheel drive vehicles. Um, you know you don't have hills, right? So, so <laughs> I know you're in Mount Pleasant, but no. Uh, so people in Charleston, four-wheel drive is a status symbol. In Denver, four-wheel drive is how we get to work. Um, one other difference, I don't want to go deep into this, but I'll just give you this tip in case you come to Denver. If someone, <laughs> if someone offers you special brownies, um, <laughs> that's not grandma's recipe, okay? Just, just step away from the brownies, uh, but it's, it's, it's fun to be here. It's fun to be a part of this uh, series that you guys are doing about uh, prophets and priests and kings. And, and, and again, to talk about today, one of my favorite Bible characters. And as I thought about the Bible character we're going to talk about today, I thought about, you know, sometimes we make, we make mistakes in life. That seems to be my MO in life is to make mistakes. And I, I remember uh, when I was here in, in Charleston at, at Seacoast and and uh, we got the, Greg and I got the opportunity to work with the John Maxwell organization with Equip to go to India and teach leadership principles. And it was the first time I had ever been to India. Greg had been before, so we traveled together and we went, uh, the, we went the west route. So we went from here to, well, it, it's Charleston. We went from here to Atlanta to LA to, um, from LA to Taipei, Taiwan, and then to Singapore and then to Chennai, India, and then back to Singapore. And when we got back to Singapore, we had about a nine-hour layover. So we said, let's leave the airport and let's go downtown and see what Singapore's like. So we uh, caught the train, went downtown. We, we walked around the shopping district. We went to Chinatown and had, had uh, lunch in Chinatown. And, and then it was time to come back. And <clears throat> when we used to travel together, I was kind of the detail guy because I, I was like a little more detailed than Greg was at that point. Not much, but a little bit. And so I was in charge of trying to keep us on track. He was on time. And so we get to the train station waiting to catch the train back to the airport. And I thought we had plenty of time to get back. At, you know, you, gotta, you have to go through custom. You have to go through security. And it's international flight, all of that. You need a couple of hours, really, to, to get through the airport to get your airplane. Plenty of time. Standing on the train station, Greg said, what time does our plane take off? And I said, well, it takes off at 425. 
And he said, that, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't seem right. I said, no, I'm pretty sure. It takes off at 425. Let me, let me look at the boarding pass. And I pulled out the boarding pass. When you travel internationally, they use a 24-hour clock. And on the boarding pass, the time our plane took off was 1425. If you do the math, that's 225. And at that point, it was 130. Okay? So we had a little less than an hour to get from downtown Singapore to the airport through security, through customs, through the line, on our plane to get home. And there's, that's not humanly possible. I thought that I had made a mistake that had ruined our trip. We were going to have to spend another night in Singapore. We were going to have to try to catch another plane. I didn't know what we were going to do. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just made a mistake that just seems like it ruined everything? It seems like it ruined your plans. Maybe your mistake was a lot more than misreading a boarding pass or possibly missing a plane on an international flight. Maybe your mistake seems to have longer consequences. Maybe you made a mistake in high school that you still seem to be paying for today, or, or maybe you went to the wrong college, or, or maybe you made a mistake in marriage, maybe you, maybe you went through a divorce, maybe you made a mistake in business, or you chose the wrong career, or, or some mistake, maybe there was something you did that you still regret today, and you feel like that mistake has messed up everything going forward. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about a prophet from the Old Testament, and somebody you may not necessarily always think of as a prophet, but the Bible calls him a prophet, who made a mistake early in life that changed the course of his future. And we want to kind of look at how does God handle that when our mistakes mess up our future. As we dive in, before we talk about this Bible character, would you guys have a prayer with me real quick? Father, thank you so much to be here today, to be here at Seacoast at this incredible church. Lord, I pray that you will just use the next few minutes to speak truth. Lord, all of us here have just stumbled at times in life, and sometimes it's not even a, a sin, it's just a choice that we look back and we don't understand why we made it and wish we could change it. Lord, I pray that over the next few minutes we can hear your will, your, your thoughts. Lord, I pray I can get out of the way, that we can learn from your word and speak truth into our lives. In your name, amen. Before we get to this Bible character, let me give you just a little bit of background. We actually have to go back to the beginning of the history of Israel. So the, the, the video that we saw right before Josh came up and introduced me today uh, is a video that, that the, some of the Seacoast leaders took while they were in the land of Israel. But to, to understand the land of Israel, we have to go back a long, long time. We go back to Abraham. If you've been around church for a long time, you know the story of Abraham. And God calls Abraham and tells Abraham, you're going to have a lot of children, and I'm going to give you a land that is your very own, and get up and leave this place where your father lived, and, and go to this land that I'm going to show you. And so Abraham does, and he travels, and he, he winds up in the land of Canaan, which eventually eventually someday becomes Israel, which is today, present-day Israel. And Abraham, uh, in his old age, he has a son, a son named Isaac. The promise is passed from Abraham to Isaac that they'll have this great nation. And then Isaac has a son named Jacob. This promise is passed from Isaac to Jacob, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Jacob has a lot of sons, including one named Joseph. Joseph's brothers, you guys may know this story, remember the story, Joseph's brothers are jealous of him, and so they uh, sell him into slavery. He winds up in Egypt. 
through a, 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 a variety of circumstances, Joseph becomes the number two leader in Egypt, which is the most powerful country in the world at the time. And eventually a, a drought comes to the land of Canaan, to present-day Israel. And Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to buy bread. They get there. They find out their brother is the number two guy there. They go back. They get their dad. They move the entire family down to Egypt. And there, they just, they, they live, and they become, basically, they become a part of Egypt, and they've left the land of promise. They left the land of Canaan. And then, eventually, Jacob dies. Jacob's sons die. Joseph dies. And we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 1. It says, eventually, a new king, a new pharaoh, came to power in Egypt who, not, who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape the country. So the, the king looks and he goes, I don't know who these people are. I don't know where they came from. They're, they're Jewish people, and they're just multiplying like crazy, and they're so there's hundreds of them, and then tens of thousands of them, and then hundreds of thousands, and over a million of them, and he realizes that this is not a good situation. There's got to be a way we've got to hold these people down, and so his plan is, is he makes them slaves, and all the Jews become slaves of the Egyptians, and they, 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 they make them build, I mean, we believe that the pyramids were in part built by Hebrew slaves, because he thinks that'll slow down their population growth, but they continue to grow and God blesses their flocks and blesses them with sons and daughters and they grow and grow and grow and and so this plan this plan isn't working and so Pharaoh the king comes up with a new plan and he says we're going to kill all the sons that are born to the Hebrews and that will stop the population growth and so they begin slaughtering babies as soon as they're born any males that are born well in this time uh, a couple has a little boy, and they name him Moses. You know this story. And, and so they don't want Moses, of course, to be killed. And so the mother puts him in a little basket, puts him in a river, has his sister watch over the basket. And then one day, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river. She sees the basket. She hears the baby cry. She just immediately, her heart is tugged toward this little baby, falls in love with the baby. And eventually, she adopts Moses as her own son. And so Moses, the, the Hebrew boy, is raised in Pharaoh's home as Pharaoh's own grandson. Now, I want to put a time out right there because I want you to think about this a little bit. Let's think about this together. Those of us who have been around church a long time, we know where the story goes from here. But let's just stop right there. Moses is raised until he's 40 years old inside Pharaoh's home. He learns all the leadership uh, lessons that Pharaoh knows as one of the leaders of the, of, the, of the known world at that time. He has all the privileges of leadership, the education. What if God's plan to set his people, the Jews, free was that, that, that Moses eventually might become the king of Egypt? Maybe that was God's plan. Maybe that's what God wanted to do. What a great circumstance this was. God's already worked this way one time, Moses' ancestor Joseph saved the Jews because he became a leader in Egypt, and maybe God was going to do that again. But let's look what Moses does. We pick the story up in Exodus chapter 2. Many years later, Moses is about 40 years old. When Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. 
During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Moses heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. This decision, this mistake on Moses' part changed the course of his life. He was on the rise in Pharaoh's household. Who knows what kind of leader he might have been? He goes, he has in a moment of passion, he kills another man, he hides the body, and his life is changed forever. He runs, he hides, he goes as far away from Egypt as he can, he winds up on the backside of the desert, the Bible says, and he becomes a shepherd, taking care of sheep for 40 years. That's all he does. He, he takes care of sheep, nothing happens. Eventually, the Pharaoh who, who raised him as his grandson, that Pharaoh dies, another Pharaoh comes in. People forget about Moses. People forget he ever existed. He's on the backside of the desert. His mistake has changed and actually ruined his life. Any potential that Moses might have had has been snuffed out by this mistake. Everyone forgets Moses except God. See, God still has a plan for Moses' life. One day Moses is out in the desert, he's taking care of the sheep, and he sees a bush catch fire. And he goes over to check out the bush, and he notices that the bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. And then all of a sudden, a voice starts coming out of the bush. Now, if Moses had had some of those special brownies, that might not be unusual. <laughs> but he realizes pretty quick, this is the voice of God. And God speaks from the bush and speaks to Moses, and here's what he says in, Ephesians, or in Exodus chapter 3. He says, The cry of my people Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. This guy who made the mistake, this murderer, this guy hiding in the desert, this, this guy that all he does is he takes care of sheep, God goes to him and says, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of, Jesus, uh, out of Egypt. See, God had a plan for Moses' life. Moses was going to be his leader. Moses' mistake did not invalidate God's plan for his life. I want to talk to you guys for just a few minutes about that. I want to talk about the truth that we see in your life from Moses' life. And the first thing we know, and I know, and you can know, about yourself is that God has a plan. No matter what you've done, no matter the mistakes you've made, no matter the, the decisions you've made, no matter the mess that you made or the greatness that you made or wherever you're at, God has a plan for your life. Your mistakes, your circumstances don't invalidate God's plan. Here's a misconception that we have all the time in Christianity is we kind of get this picture of God's plan for our life as like a blueprint, as uh, it's like GPS directions. You go up two miles, you turn left, you go up another mile, you turn right. 
in our life, we think, okay, God has a plan, and that plan is I graduate from high school and I go to the specific college he's chosen for me, and I, and I take the specific classes, and I get the right major, and I go to the job that God's chosen for me, and I live in the town that God's chosen for me, and I marry the woman that God's chosen for me, and all of these things are, this is God's specific blueprint for my life, and here's the problem with that picture, is if I make a mistake, and I pick the wrong college, or I take the wrong class, or I date the wrong girl, or I move to the wrong town, or I live in the wrong house, or I put on the wrong socks. I've messed up God's plan, and now what happens? And I don't think that's how God's plan works in our life. I think it's, it's kind of, it's more like a game plan, okay? So Coach Kubiak of the greatest professional football team in the world, which is the Broncos, in case you're not following me here, today... At 9 o'clock in the morning, he's got a game plan for tonight's game against the Green Bay Packers, the, 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 the team that God hates, okay? <laughs> and he's got this game plan. Now, when it happens, Peyton Manning, God's favorite quarterback, may not be throwing the ball like he did when he was young, right? And so Gary Kubiak is going to, if Peyton throws an interception, He's going to throw his clipboard down. He's going to walk off the field and go, we can't win. That wasn't in the game plan. No. He's going to adjust. He's going to change. At halftime, they're going to come in and say, it turns out Peyton still can't throw. So we're going to run the ball the second half. Right? Right? You guys, football fans know what I'm talking about, right? You adjust. I doubt that Dabo Sweeney at halftime said, all right, guys, we got him right where we want him, down by one point. That's what we want. No. But he's got a game plan. And they make mistakes, and so they shift, and they change. God has a game plan for your life. And the fact that you didn't go to the right high school, or you didn't go to the right college, or you went through a divorce, or you lost a business, or you got fired, that wasn't God's choice, but he still got a game plan. You haven't ruined his plan for your life. You've just kind of changed the route that you're going to go on. Moses took a lot of detours. Moses spent 40 years that maybe he didn't have to spend, but God still had a game plan for his life. God has a place in his grand plan in history for you. And no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, no matter how old you are or how young you are, there's still a place in that plan for you. Now, the second truth about God's game plan for your life is that it's seldom easy and it's seldom comfortable. It's seldom easy, it's seldom comfortable. I bet Moses had no idea when he was talking to the bush that he was going to spend 40 years leading a bunch of whining Jewish people through the desert. You know? <laughs> we want to go back to Egypt. We don't have enough bread. We don't like the bread you're giving us. We want meat. We don't like quail. I mean, just on and on and on for 40 years. God's game plan for Moses was not easy, comfortable. We go to the New Testament, and we, t we look at the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament and started most of the churches out, uh, uh, for Gentiles. And, Moses, and Paul's life was not easy or comfortable. In fact, he, he writes in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. He doesn't say what this thorn is. It might have been a person. It might have been a, a group of people. Many, many scholars think it was probably some sort of physical ailment that hindered him, kept him from doing what he wanted to do, caused pain in his life. And it, it, we know that it went on for year after year after year after year. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. 
When we hear that, we try to figure out what was Paul doing wrong? Maybe, maybe Paul didn't have enough faith, but Paul's the guy who actually literally wrote the book on faith. I mean, Paul had faith. Maybe he wasn't claiming the right biblical promise. Well, Paul had the Bible memorized. I think he knew which promises. Maybe he wasn't praying the right way. Maybe he needed to pray the prayer of Jabez or, or pray the circle maker prayer. And I don't think that was it. I think Paul was in God's plan, but God's plan included difficulty and challenges. I've been there. You have too. I've been in a place where I felt like I thought I was doing what God was asking me to do, and yet it was really, really hard. When we left Charleston uh, five years ago, we moved to California, and we sought God's counsel. We prayed Greg and I talked about it for a long time. I talked to some of my mentors who are here in the church today. I, I talked to other people, and we really felt like God was saying to move to California. Now, here was our daughter and our son and our daughter-in-law. Our first grandchild had just been born. She was two months old. We packed up everything we had, and we moved all the way across the country to a place where we didn't know anybody. For a year, we were there in California, and I'm just going to be honest with you. There was cool stuff. It was an exciting opportunity, but it was the hardest year of my life, hardest year I've ever gone through. About six months in, I, by myself, I'm in my room, and I'm crying. I'm praying, God, what is going on? What have I done? And yet, in the midst of that, I knew I'm I'm just doing what I think you, you call me to do, God. It's like that sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we're, we're trying to pursue God and we're listening to his voice and we're, we're doing the right things and we're praying and we're going to church and we're serving and we're loving our husband and we're loving our wife and, and yet it feels so hard and we think, what is going on? Steve Jobs, a couple of years, three years or so before he died, gave a commencement speech at Stanford. And if you have never watched that speech, it's the most spot watched commencement speech ever, speech ever given. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend going and watching it. And Steve Jobs, who wasn't a Christian, gave a very spiritual um, very, uh, perspective. And one of the things he said was, you can never connect the dots in life going forward. You can never look at the future and go, oh, okay, I get that. You can only connect the dots looking back. So as I look back in my life and over the last few years, it was hard, it was tough, it was painful. But you know what? If we had never gone to California, I don't think my wife ever would have gone to work with mops. As she's gone to work with mops, we've seen thousands of women around the world commit their life to Christ. Amazing stuff is going on. We had a chance to be a part of helping Ernest Smith and a group from here go to Colorado and start a church. If we had never gone to California, we never would have gone to Colorado. We never could have been a part of helping see that happen. Our son and daughter-in-law now live in Colorado, and God is using them in unbelievable ways, reaching their neighbors for Jesus. We're seeing our little granddaughters grow up in Christ. So many things are happening in our lives that as we look back, we can see God at work. In the moment, it doesn't feel like God is at work. And it's so hard to see forward. As we look back in Moses' life, we can see the way God used all these circumstances. Pharaoh decides to have all the male babies put to death, and so 
Pharaoh's granddaughter winds up adopting Moses. Moses is raised in Pharaoh's home. Have you ever thought about how that helped Moses when he became a leader? He saw his grandfather lead millions of people. He saw how decisions were made. He was educated in the finest schools in the world. Do you think God used that to help Moses lead? Then Moses spends 40 years in a desert following sheep around. Have you ever thought about the fact that God then takes Moses and has him in a desert for 40 years leading people around? Moses didn't go anywhere he hadn't been before. He had been, this was his home country as he went through the wilderness. God used the circumstances of Moses' life as hard as they were, even the mistakes that he made to weave into his story. But God's plan is seldom comfortable seldom easy. Paul says, God, take away this thorn. And God's answer is so profound. He says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That is the essence of what faith is, to understand, regardless of the mistakes, regardless of how I got to this path, Regardless of how hard this path is or this moment is and, and the circumstances I'm facing, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, when we're in the moment, we feel like God is absent. We feel like God is angry. We feel like God is unfair. But when we experience God's grace, we know that God is actually sovereign and we know that God is enough. And in that moment, we know God is actually with me. God loves me. God will take care of me. God has a plan. God's plan is seldom easy. It's seldom comfortable. The next thing we know is God's plan is always bigger than me. God's plan for your life is bigger than you. Exodus 3.11 says this, Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? I'd underline that phrase, who am I? I'm sure some of us are sitting here going today, who am I? I mean, God doesn't have a big plan for my life. Who, who am I? I'm just a, a common everyday person. God knew that, or Moses knew that without God, he was toast. There was no way. He was a, he was a, he was a murderer. He was a fugitive. He was just some anonymous shepherd from the desert. Who was he to go before Pharaoh and say, I'm here to lead my people out? Who would his people, they didn't even know who he was. Who am I? It's in those who am I moments that God can use us the most. It's in those moments when we say, God, I am not enough. That's when God can use us. We go back to Paul one more time. He, he has this thorn, and he's asked God to, to remove it, and God said, my grace is sufficient, and here's Paul's conclusion. He says, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Listen to this last line. This is so powerful. For when I am weak then I am strong. I've always wondered, what does that mean, when I am weak, then I am strong? I mean, when I'm weak, I'm weak. When I'm strong, I'm strong. They've kind of begun to understand this as a grandfather. I, my youngest granddaughter is, is two and a half, Molly Rose, and she's still the cutest two and a half year old on the face of the planet. I'm sorry if your kid's second place, but that's your problem. Um, 
And she's so sweet, and she, she likes to do things herself, and she, she likes to think she's strong and big, and she's a scrawny little two-year-old, two, two a scrawny little thing. And she, you know, she carries, but she'll go in our, our pantry and she'll get out the whole case of, uh, of juices and bring them to Papa, I want juice. You know, she loves doing that. But once in a while, she comes across something that she's just not powerful enough to do. She's just not strong. She can't, she doesn't have the courage. She can't do it. And so she'll, she'll look over at me and she'll say, Papa, help. Papa, help. And being her Papa, of course I'm going to help. I love to help. That's awesome. So whatever I'm doing, I set aside and I go over and whatever tasks she's trying to accomplish, I help her. Now, I got to tell you, Molly by herself, she's weak. She's little. She's a two-year-old. Molly and Papa together, we're a force to be reckoned with, right? <laughs> we can move immovable objects. We can reach things that are high up that Mimi put away that she's not supposed to get to. We together, <laughs> we can get it done. When Molly is weak and Molly says, Papa, help, Molly and Papa together are strong. When I am weak and I realize who am I, I'm toast without you, God. God, I don't have a clue how I'm going to do this. It's on you, God. When I'm weak, then I'm strong because then God can work his plan through me. Who am I? Well, I, I made some mistakes. I messed up. I'm, I look good on a Sunday. I, I, I look good when I get dressed. I look good and when I put on my game face. But the reality is, you might say, I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I've got stuff going on in my life. I have mistakes still happening in my life. Here's the next truth, is your mistakes do not invalidate God's plan. Your mistakes do not invalidate God's plan for your life. You see, Moses' life was full of mistakes. Moses had a whole list of shouldn'ts. You see, Moses shouldn't have thrown away his heritage as Pharaoh's grandson. Moses shouldn't have killed that Egyptian. Moses shouldn't have run and hid rather than face up to the consequences. Moses shouldn't have disappeared for 40 years from his family. Moses shouldn't have done any of those things. But they didn't invalidate God's plan. It changed the route, but it didn't change the plan. You know what? You, you shouldn't have dropped out of high school. You shouldn't have dropped out of college. You probably shouldn't have gotten married so young. You probably shouldn't have got pregnant before you got married. You probably shouldn't have gotten fired from that job. You probably never should have invested in that company. You probably shouldn't have bought that house. You probably should have never taken that first drink. You, you probably shouldn't have gotten into drugs. You, you certainly shouldn't have ever cheated on your spouse. You shouldn't have lied. You shouldn't have stolen. You shouldn't have done any of those things. But those mistakes don't invalidate God's plan. Your mistakes shape your route, but they don't change God's game plan. Romans 8, 28, don't you love that scripture, those of you who have been around the Bible a lot? Romans 8, 28, Paul says this, we know that God causes everything, circumstances, problems, challenges, mistakes, God causes everything 
to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Last truth. God didn't forget his plan. God has not forgotten his plan. It may seem like you're stuck. It may seem like you're not moving forward. It may seem like you thought you had dreams, you had feelings that God was going to do something through you and and with you, and it feels like you're not there. God's not forgotten his plan. You have to understand that God works in long loops. God's plan for Moses' life did not start with a baby in a basket. God's plan for Moses' life started many, 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 many years before that when he said to Abraham, Moses' ancestor, I'm going to give you sons and daughters and a nation. God's plan continued through Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and it continued through the life of Moses. But God's plan for Moses didn't even end the day Moses died. God's plan for Moses continued until his own son, Jesus Christ, came and completed the plan of redemption that began with Abraham and was completed in Jesus Christ. That's how God's plan works. So God hasn't forgotten his plan for your life. He still has work for you to do. He still has things for you to accomplish. It doesn't matter if you're just now finishing high school, or you're just now retiring from your job, or you're just now in the empty nest, or you're just now having your first grandkids. It makes no difference. God's plan is still at work. God does not forget his plan. So what do you do? What do you do next? Let me give you a sentence. I, 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 I think this is helpful. What would a person do in exactly your circumstance if they were absolutely confident God was with them? What would someone do in exactly your circumstances if they knew that they knew that they knew that God was with them? What's the next step that they would take? Maybe it's a major life change. Maybe it's a, a move or a job. Or, or, or maybe it's crossing the line of faith for the very first time and saying, I've been checking out Christianity. I've been checking out church. I am ready to throw it all in and say, Jesus, you're, my life is yours. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you've never been baptized in water and your next step is, I don't get that whole deal, but I'm going to do it. Jesus did it, so I'll do it. And you get baptized in water. Maybe your next step is to say, I'm going to go start a small group or join a small group or, or be a part of a short-term mission team or, or I'm going to talk to my neighbor about Jesus or I'm going to pick up the phone I'm going to call my dad and say, Dad, we need to get together. I want to, I want to fix things up. Or, or you're going to call a son or you're, you're going to sit down with your spouse and you're going to say, it's time for us to have a very serious conversation. Or you're going to sit down with a friend and say, you know what, I'm addicted, I can't give it up. Or you're going to sit with a friend and say, I think that you have a problem and I want to walk with you through it. I don't know what your next step is in God's plan. But what would someone in exactly your circumstances do if they knew beyond a shadow of doubt that God was with them? They'd take the next step in God's plan in their life. Jeff, that's great. That sounds good. It's inspirational. That's wonderful. But you don't know my circumstances. My circumstances are too challenging. Really. Did you ever kill anybody and bury them and run and hide for 40 years? Because that was Moses' deal. Jeff, you, you don't understand. I've done something. It's bad. It's bad. Really? How many of you killed your neighbor to have an affair with his wife? How many of you? Some of you? Several? No one? No one? A couple up in Irma, okay. 
Because that's what King David did, right? That's what David did. And God used him after that. Jeff, I, <laughs> yeah, that's great for the big college people, the business owners. I get that. I'm just a blue-collar worker. I just work at an everyday job, got dirt under my fingernails. I'm just a normal, everyday person, kind of like a guy named Peter who fished for a living. Jeff, this is, you know, that's great for the old people. That's wonderful. I'm a, I'm a teenager, kind of like a young girl named Mary who God's plan in her life was to give birth to the Son of God who changed the world. You see, whatever your circumstances is, whatever mistake you've made, whatever baggage you've got, God has a plan for you. And today may be the very day, the very moment, when he wants to help you take the next right step to fulfill what he created you specifically to do. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the plan. Thank you for the plan for my life. And God, thank you so much that the mistakes and missteps and directions I've taken, that you've woven all of that together to keep moving toward your purpose for me. Lord, I thank, I pray today for the man who walked into this room and not even really knowing why, maybe their wife just said, go to church with me. They don't know what the purpose is. They don't know what the plan is. They feel kind of lost. Lord, I pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit will do what only your Holy Spirit can do. And she'll speak to that man's heart. Say, I got a purpose for you. I got a plan for you. I want to take the junk in your life and I want to turn it into good for the future. I pray for that lady who maybe nobody knows what she's struggling with. Lord, I pray that this is the moment where she's set free, where she says, I'm, I'm not going to let the past define my future. Today is the day it changes. Lord, I pray in the next few moments you'll do a divine thing. I pray for a burning bush moment in our lives during response time when we hear the voice of God and we respond. Lord, we give the next few minutes to you. In your name, amen.